0: Your check engine light is on. Mm-hmm. Typically, that's an indicator to, you know, check your engine.
1: He's fine. It's been on for like a month.
2: Anian. It seems that the conventional repair is going the way. It's going the way of the dinosaur, folks. It is. Maybe the light's broken.
0: Check
2: the check engine light light. The car doctor. And I can tell because everybody coming in the door, I need brakes. I was told I need brakes. You know, the last guy I was at, he said I needed brakes. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian. The car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls. At 855-560-9900 And now Maybe it's just something minor Oh,
0: good news, the
2: light just went out Here's Ronnie Now that's not fair Now I have to be serious Oh, my God, that's too funny. Ron and Amy and the car doctor at your service. Hello and welcome, everybody. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. I remember that episode. That was just, you know, yeah, is there a light for the check engine light? Is there a check the check engine light light? Uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of get that, and I remember that. So welcome aboard. It's going to be a fun-filled two hours as we uh, motor through for uh, talking about your car and its problems, whatever you got going on. And uh, we're here to solve it for you. I want to talk about a bunch of things. I promise this week, somebody's got to hold me to task. I've got to get the Hunter Overstreet's email. I keep threatening to talk about it. I've done that two weeks in a row now, or one week in a row. Um, I, I want to talk about that. I've got some emails, the pile here. I've created a pile on my studio desk uh, that I want to talk about. I also want to talk about the dip in the road. Uh, I've noticed that, um, well, the dip in the road is sort of an, an analogy comparison to auto repair, and I want to talk about that. And. Tom sent me this great article about microwaves and and the use of those in automobiles. But the phones are so busy. Let's uh, let's let's kick the garage doors open first thing. Let's go up to Ontario, Canada, and talk to Jack. Twenty sixteen Kia Sorento. Jack, you're on with the car doctor. How can I help, sir?
0: Hi there. Yes, sir. Um, I'll, so some months ago, I got a letter from Kia. Not a recall. It's called a product improvement campaign. Mm, be afraid. So basically, I took it in for a. They installed a computer program that gives the knock sensor a second function, namely detecting connecting rod be- bearing failure before the engine packs it in. Okay. So essentially, it puts it into limp mode. You get it towed in. They fix it. Right. And and that's that's a kind of a slick. I think they did well with that. Um, it's just sort of reason one for me losing a little faith in high-end the engines because my real question is. Uh, I've been changing the engine oil more frequently than they require simply because a 1,000, maybe 1,500 miles after I change the engine oil and filter, uh, it's like ink. It's black. And the dealer claims, oh, well, direct injection engines, that's what they do. Don't worry about it. And I just like your opinion on, on that question.
2: I don't see direct injection engines fouling oil to that level. So let me let me ask a few questions, Jack. How many how many miles are on this car? Uh,
0: Forty five thousand kilometers, so twenty seven thousand miles. miles yeah.
2: like uh, two thirds. Uh, uh, operated in what kind of environment? Paved roads, dusty roads, yes, yes, paved it's, roads. It's, so it's not a...
0: it's not um, it's not abused in dusty roads or anything. No.
2: Okay, and you're using correct spec oil.
0: Yeah, I'm using synthetic um oil and kia filters um you know the the viscosity that they require etc cetera, etc
2: cetera. has it been has it been that way since new the blackening of the oil
0: yeah the car was bought with twenty thousand kilometers on it um bought it from the dealer with fairly dirty oil changed immediately and since then yes uh like i'm trying to convert into miles but within two thousand kilometers of changing oil and filter it looks like my truck looks like after eight thousand you know it's
2: you know i was always taught and i there's moments i disagree with this but i've always taught never to look at the color of oil as my final determination right so you know before we jump all over this and you know i would i would look and verify is the is the crankcase ventilation system working properly and, and again, I would think that if some of this stuff was out of whack, you would you would be getting a check engine light or some sort of fault code, fuel enrichment, rich, lean, something.
0: Yeah, be, because has the got pretty low miles. Right. I, I you know, I they're, did they're, take they're, a sample of the oil and look for filings and such things?
2: Well, did you and do? There, did, did you there do appears th- not to be. So so so, you looked for a sample of filings. Did you send the oil out for a formal analysis by a lab? No,
0: no, I didn't do that. That's no. your next. I wouldn't step. even know where to.
2: Um, I just Google oil analysis, and a bunch. I think I think Blackstone Laboratories or something like that comes up. You know, there's okay. there's there's two or three places in the states that do it. There may be somebody up in Canada. I'm not sure, but okay. uh, yeah, here's an example where oil analysis really would help. And I say it like that because. I read the forums where I've got all these lunatics that, you know, they're they're arguing over change their oil at 3,000 miles, 5,000 miles, 8,000 miles, two years, uh, you know, and they're sending it out for analysis and they're, you know, uh, they're, they're, you know, using their kids' college money to prove that their vehicle will go right. 404 million miles if they don't change the oil unless it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> right. It's, 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 it's insanity, you know, quadruple.
0: Yeah, there's a point at which you don't want to spend more money than it's worth.
2: Right. So, yeah. you know, I would do an oil analysis. If it comes back as oil, then, yeah, it is what it is. But if it comes back, well, you know, Jack, we've got these metal filings. We've got a high a- amount of copper. We've got some, you know, uh, yeah, tin in there. Right. We've got, you know, maybe the motor is coming apart already.
0: You know. Yeah, my, and, and you haven't heard um, specifically other high-end engine owners with this problem or?
2: Not the black oil comment, but as far as yeah. Kia Hyundai two four engine issues, uh, it's either two four or the two zero. Oh. Actually, I think it might be both of them. But yeah, they're 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 changing a bunch of those. I'm really amazed that they think the technology is so good that the knock sensor will hear the sound of a connecting rod knocking, and that'll get the engine in prior to failure.
0: Right. Well, I I thought it's kind of an ingenious fix. Well, um, they must have.
2: Only if it, it could only knock. if it could see it before it starts to knock, because as far as I'm concerned, if it's knocking we're done
0: right, yeah i I hear you, so it's got to be something that I couldn't detect, right, but that the knock sensor could
2: right, which how's it going to do which, that it's a knock right. sensor, it needs sound you know which now, the is... Good
0: thing is they they claim to be giving a lifetime warranty on the engine as long as uh once it goes into limp mode, I don't drive too far and phone them immediately, et cetera, et cetera, and right. they will fix it and so okay, great. The engine's under warranty if they have to fix it, then
2: die it, you know. Yeah, I would just but, I would just read that as we know the engine's gonna fail, so get ready. And yeah. then uh, <laughs> and, and, and then at what point you know, this whole we're gonna stand behind that the engine's gonna fail thing is a bunch of nonsense. Because when how think of how many kias are on the road you know they're not just picking on Jack. Think of how many Kias are on the road, and then they all show up at once. And right. Now we've got to fix all these engines at once.
0: Well, you would think it would bankrupt them because there's a, a recall on a million and some engines, I believe.
2: Right. Well, right. And and you know yeah. this kind of this kind of proves the point, doesn't it? Kia is really, in my opinion, a four to six year vehicle, and you're done. Throw it away. Who cares?
0: I guess you're right, yeah. You
2: know? they yeah, um, sadly. They're, they're, they're getting better, they're just not there yet. Now, Hyundai used to be like Kia, right? We used to laugh about Hyundai in the business. Yeah, Hyundai, it's a hunk of junk, it's mm-hmm. going to last five years. And they did, they lasted five years, and we knew what Hyundai stood for. Hyundai was, hope you understand, nothing's drivable and inexpensive. And, you know, and that's, and then we got, and then, you know what, and then Hyundai came a long way. Hyundai, Hyundai's making some really nice cars now.
0: But... And, i got to say, this Kia, um, I have no. But, but it's a nice car with a crap engine,
2: basically. Right. Basically. <laughs> well, yeah, let it drive a little longer. Then you'll realize the whole car is basically crap. So it won't Wait, really matter. Here comes the MyKia. Yeah. What's a MyKia? Nice. MyKia! <laughs> uh, it's nice to have an engineer and a, and, a, and a producer with a sense of humor, isn't it? Uh, but um, do an oil analysis, Jack. Call me back in a couple of weeks when you get it back. I'm curious what they say is in there because I, I, okay. I, I can't think it's anything good, but let's find out, all right, before we do yeah. any kind of hardcore complaining. we right, will brother. look into that then. Oh. Thanks. L- You're very welcome. Take good care. You have a good rest of the weekend. Uh, let's just do a quick piece of email. This comes to us from Phil in Vermont. Phil wants to know if it's okay if four bleeder screws are normal to break off during a brake flush, and what are my thoughts on using anti-seize on an O2 sensor? Phil in Vermont. Um, I apologize, Phil. has been sitting here on my desk for probably three, four weeks. Uh, you know, it, it depends on the care and caution given, right? Um, did they, you know, is it, and I guess a lot of it's condition of the vehicle. And, you know, how many miles are on the vehicle? And you're in Vermont. You're not exactly in Texas where, you know, snow, what's that? Uh, you know, parts of Texas. So it's not normal. It's not abnormal. Uh, the real question I've got is, is this your normal repair shop? Again, you know, a stranger walks up to you and says, "Hey, all four bleeders snapped. It's going to be six hundred dollars to fix the car. We've got to put calipers on it." That moment of doubt's in your mind because you don't know this person, and versus the guy who's been taking care of your car for you know two, three, five, ten, fifteen years. Hey, Phil, guess what? The, the bleeders are kind of corroded and crummy looking, and um, you know. Now, I will say this: after the first one snapped, maybe they should have called you and and, and told you hey, Phil, one of the bleeders snapped. The rest don't look good, um, you know, unless they just went around the car. Maybe it was a slow day and it was just, okay, we'll break all four and then he's got to fix it. So um, it's not normal. I've seen it. But every time we do it where we have one break, we always give the consumer the option, do you want us to keep going because it's not looking good? So I think that that's on the shop. As far as anti season and O2 sensors, yes, copper anti Cs. Just a very light. That's another thing I don't understand, right? I can rant about this all day. They, they, You buy an O2 sensor. They give you, oh, I don't know, two ounces of anti of which you use a schmear. A schmear, um, it, you know, in delicatessen terms, is kind of like a little less than a normal amount of mayo on the knife when you wipe the top of the hard roll before you make the roast beef sandwich. It's a schmear, all right? It's a gentle taste. Uh, you know how much anti we I've got piles of these vials, piles of vials, stacked up at the shop, where, I've, you know, and it's just, yes, a dab of correct copper anti-season if the O2 sensor manufacturers out there are listening. Shrink the size of the vial. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. 560 9900 Ron and Amy, The Car Doctor, coming back right after this.
0: For the best in car advice, give Ron a call 855-560-9900. Now back to Ron.
2: Hey, I have in my hands something that will actually displace in the news the impeachment hearings for President Trump. I've actually got it. I've, I've got the thing that's going to upset this. Not making this political, but I believe this will be this will actually be what we will be bombarded with next week. This just came in ten forty five this morning. Actually, 10.45 yesterday morning, January 17th, Friday. um, Tesla has an unintended acceleration problem, allegedly. This came out over CNN. Is that fake news? No, I don't want to go there. I'm not trying to get political. I'm not saying, I'm just, you know, it, it, it can't be real for one and not for the other, like, just trying to keep it real. But this will, at least we can look at this next week instead of the impeachment hearings. More than 100 Teslas have been involved in accidents because they accelerated unintentionally, according to CNN out of New York today, according to a complaint filed with federal safety regulators. The complaint filed on December 19th, but posted Friday, says the problem happened to 127 different cars across all three Tesla models currently for sale. Well, I could believe this, except for the Tesla I was following home last night. I don't think that guy knew. How, I don't think that car could go over 20, so I don't think he had an intended acceleration problem. I think he had cockpit trouble, as Uncle Steve would say. He couldn't drive. Um, National Highway Traffic Safety Office, which investigates such complaints, says it is looking into the allegations that it has yet to decide whether enough evidence exists to open a defect investigation. So you can read that as give it two weeks. We'll see who does what. You know, if things slow down in Washington as far as impeachment, we'll put Tesla up because we got to keep the news up and keep bombarding people. So, but yeah, seriously, Tesla's got some problems. No kidding. Um, by the way, I didn't point out, bottom of the hour, we're going to be joined by Andrew Bader. Andy is a, um, uh, it's Andy, right, Tom? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Andy is a farmer from Pennsylvania who wrote into us and uh, started, talking, started talking to us about how the Right to Repair Act is affecting repairing tractors, you know, going out into the field. You're, you're a farmer, you plant, you go out to the field, You, and all of a sudden your tra- tractor breaks down in the middle of 1,000 acres, which, according to Andy, is a hobby farm in, in, out, out west because there's 10,000-acre farms. Um, you know, what do you do? You've got to wait for this guy to show up, and it might be later that afternoon. It might be the next day. It's at such a cost. It's, it's a problem, technology. We've got to open this up where people can fix their own stuff. Andy's going to come by and talk to us about that. Right now, let's go to David in Illinois. David, 05 Rendezvous. You put it in gear and it stalls out. Tell me about this.
1: Um, it's very random, but when you put it like if the car's running and you put it in drive, it will die out, start right back up. Okay. But if you're trying to like parallel park and you go to, from drive to reverse, it will stall right out and start and it starts back up. And also, if you come to like a stop at a stop sign or a red light, it will do it too. But okay. it's very random. It might do it one day, not for two or three days, start doing it that day.
2: Does it does it change with weather? Is I don't it, think so. Is it worse on rainy days than it is on dry days?
1: I don't think so. Okay. I so, don't know if I pay attention to that, but I'm not sure.
2: Yeah, pay attention to that. Does that change it? All right. Okay. Um, That's number one. Number two, is it that you'll put it into gear and it will stall, or it stalls in gear? As soon as you put it into
1: gear, it will stall right away, but it's very smooth. like just loses power, Like, and the battery light will come on the dashboard. You can you hardly tell it died out. That's how smooth it is, but it's right away. As soon as you put in gear, the car doesn't even move. It just dies right then and there.
2: Kind of like a stick car if it was a manual transmission and you let the clutch out and bang. It's, it's, it's like. Kind of. Yeah. But,
1: but you don't feel anything. It's very smooth, though. Very, very smooth.
2: Okay. Here's what I want you to do. Um, obviously, we want to scan for codes, even though there's no lights on on the dashboard. We want to do a complete module scan, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So let's have your mechanic do that if you don't have the ability to do that. With the car in park, all right, running. I want you to rock the car back and forth. Okay. Lift the hood, okay, and gently, just you know, nice and easy. And we're gonna okay. watch. We're gonna watch the engine rock back and forth. And what we're looking to see is that maybe if somebody could rock it and you just pay attention to wiring harnesses and and things over around the crank sensor area of the engine. Does anything look like it's moving too much? Does anything have too much flex to it? They've had some wiring harness issues with these vehicles, and they'll they'll actually, you know, you put it in gear, bang, it stalls because the engine shifts because yep. of the load. Or or do we have a, a trans-torque converter that's locking up? And I don't think we do because I also would hear the complaint from you that it shutters on D-cell and it stalls as I'm approaching a traffic light while it's already in gear, and it doesn't do that, right?
1: Well, when it comes to, come to, like, a red light or stop sign, as soon as I pull up, and actually stop stop the car it dies right away but once it's stopped
2: right okay okay yeah. so it could be idling there for 10 seconds and then cut out
1: no pretty much it stops like the car will be dying as you as you decelerate and as soon as you get to the stop sign it will be dead already
2: okay the next time that happens as you feel it about to happen pop it in neutral does it does it prevent that does it prevent that from happening okay all right if you can if you can catch it you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying to get a feel for this. Do I have a, a torque converter, which is the the, the the piece for the trans between the engine and the, and the trans? Is that in lockup and not releasing? Sort of like in the old days, a minibike clutch locked on. Do I have, is this something, you know, engine running-wise? And obviously, let's look at fuel trim. Let's look at all the obvious diagnostic things we would normally look at and, and just see what's there. And then, like I said, try rocking it back and forth. There's also some problems with Connector 305 located down in the back, bottom, middle of the car for the fuel pump. So check those things out. Call me back and we can talk further. Hey, coming up next, Andy Bader, 40-year-old tractors. Are they actually what we're looking for instead of fixing the new ones? I'm Ron Andy, The Car Doctor. Don't go away. Hey, hey, welcome back. Ron and The Car Doctor. Uh, It's a a big problem for the auto repair industry, right to repair, the fact that there are certain issues with information being made available to repair shops, and it's affecting us and it's affecting you, the end consumer, the guy that's driving that automobile. But there's a bigger problem looming, and it's been around for a while now, and it's right to repair as it's affecting farmers with tractors and, and farm equipment out in the fields. And it's really becoming an issue that crops may not get. Well, I'll tell you what, let me. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, I've got Andy Bader with us here. He's a farmer from Pennsylvania, and he's got some knowledge about this subject. We were exchanging some emails, and I said, "Let's put this guy on radio. He uh, he's got some good stuff to say." Andy, thanks for taking time out of. Uh, are, are we planting? What, what what were you planning to do today? Um, that I got you here on air.
3: Actually, today I was in Harrisburg working with some folks in the regulatory and. Trade Association Business for Agriculture.
2: Um, Talk about right to repair. I can talk about how it's affecting automobile. What is right to repair? What is right to repair as it's seen by the farmer, and how is it affecting you guys?
3: The issue for us as farmers is multifold. One, tractors are very expensive, and we tend to keep them a long time. There are a lot of tractors that are in use that were built in the 70s, 60s, 50s, and so we need to be able to continue to maintain these pieces of equipment, perhaps long after you know there's a established dealer base or, or a knowledge base of. Of folks to take care of them. All right. That's Andy, a, let me just... That's a me, big concern.
2: Let me just jump in here. What's, what's an expensive tractor? What's an average tractor today? What are we talking? 300,000, so, 300, well, 400,000? Tractors 000?
3: go all over the board. Okay. For instance, a, a really large tractor would be like a Case IH Steiger 620. It's a 620-horsepower tractor. It's about 48,000 pounds, 24 tons, and that runs around a half a million dollars.
2: And who would use that? How big that a- would
3: be a large crop farmer who would be running you know, hundreds and thousands of acres of to put into corn or soybeans or wheat or something like that. So that's mm-hmm. the kind of tractor you probably see more commonly out west, but we have farms here in Pennsylvania that use equipment that size.
2: Right. And, and, and how big is your farm, if you don't mind me asking?
3: Uh, we have a small farm. We're a smaller farm. We only have about a 60-acre farm. So we have a much smaller tractor. We only have a 60-horse tractor. Right. And even that tractor was, you know, somewhere around between 35 and 40 thousand dollars.
2: Right. So it's still a 40 thousand uh, dollar to get into the game, and then you have to deal with you can't you can't fix it in the middle of the field.
3: That's correct.
2: Um, um, and so,
3: tractors are not easily towed. You know, bigger tractors would require being uh, essentially towed or pushed onto a tractor-trailer. Even a smaller tractor like mine is a bit of a pain. You, you, the truck has to come with a rollback or something like that, and it has to be winched on. And even worse, if it's out in the middle of a field, or in my case, on the hillside, it's something that you really can't have fail in the middle of the uh, operation.
2: Well, again, yeah, let's let's go back to, you know, like, as you said, the bigger farmer, the the corn farmer or the soybean farmer who's out in the middle of maybe... You know what's 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 what is that? Uh, would it would it be a um, thousand acres? Is is, is that? A... Uh, potentially
3: even a lot more than that. You know, a thousand acres out west would be a small farm. You know, out, out Iowa, etc. There are people that are you know, in the many thousands of acres realm. Right.
2: So a ten thousand acre farm, and the tractor breaks out in the middle of a field. It, it, how do you right? You can't tow it. You've got to have somebody come out and fix it if you can't fix it yourself. Because farmers. By tradition, are are usually very handy, crafty, crafty kind of guys. You can you know you can work with your hands. And, and we are
3: the king of the category of jack of all trades. We right. all grew up working on equipment with our fathers. It's you know, it's what we know how to do. We know how to get things running again, and so to have a piece of equipment sort of stalled because a computer is acting up, or we can't reboot something is a real problem.
2: Now, wasn't it? last year and I'm coming off the top of my head with this so correct me if I'm wrong but wasn't it last year that because this is about John Deere or is this all tractors in general
3: I think this is an issue for all manufacturers I know John Deere is well uh, taking the lead on this and I, I do also understand the perspectives from manufacturers like Deere and Case IH uh, and, and I can talk a little bit about that also because I'm are taking in some efforts uh, in Washington about high-tech agriculture, and there is a lot of promise for very smart farm equipment. So we're in a time of a, kind of an interesting balance where we have machines that can plant on a field and move the position of individual seeds or fertilize an individual plant, and that requires a lot of computer technology. And then we also have kind of brute force farming, which doesn't require that. And so we're, you know, this is a, it's kind of an inflection point right now, and it's, it's a tricky issue.
2: So, well, but go, go back to the John Deere thing. John Deere had something like a year ago where they said, okay, we, am I right that they said, well, okay, we've got to hand out some information, we've got to make it more accessible, or am I wrong in that?
3: I think that Deere is uh, understands that farmers want. Information. I can't speak to deer. Interestingly, you know, I've seen some of the deer right-to-repair people, but I don't know their perspective uh, in person, and I, I think I'd I'd be reticent to comment. I, I understand globally why they're concerned and what the issue is, and that is, and it's a little bit like what happened in the auto industry with people who were doing like chip tuners, right? For, in, for instance, like on diesel trucks, and they were, you know, they were reprogramming injection pumps to get a little more power, and then they were following up uh, cat converters or uh, particulate filters or uh, exceeding emission standards and potentially even damaging engines. This is the kind of stuff that you know, manufacturers like Deere and Case IH are, are worried about, that people are going to get in and monkeying around when they don't really know what they're doing. But, and so that's, that's a dilemma.
2: But, but, well, right, but isn't the bigger dilemma if the, if the tractor's out in the middle of that 10,000-acre farm? And it can't be repaired for except for a repairman coming, and if the repairman is i don't know what's a reasonable what what are they saying you know is it is it, is it could it be a two day wait and the crop's got to get in
3: i think in and I think in agricultural areas you will find that if you call a manufacturer's rep and you have a relationship, they often will figure out a way to get somebody there. I know when my own tractor has been down if you know if you have a, an embedded relationship. They'll try to get someone there, but it's not going to happen right away. It may not happen that same day. And, of right. course, as I, I mentioned at the start of our conversation that you often only have one or two days to get a crop in or to harvest. And so, it's you know, that, that's still a lot of time. Hours matter in our business.
2: Right. And, uh, well, and hours in the sense that if you go out on Monday and say, today's the day I've got to bring in the corn, does that whole crop have to be in by Monday because it's getting shipped Tuesday, or is it that if it's not picked, it goes bad? How does that, how critical does all this work? Uh, you know, work? something
3: like corn generally is not as perishable, and so there may be an opportunity to harvest corn a few weeks later or, you know, potentially even a month later. I think there are other crops where this is a bigger issue. For instance, you know, hay might be ruined if you're not able to harvest it. Uh, bail it within the next couple days, certainly anything that 's in the fresh market arena there's there's a real problem if you 've got a you know a green bean harvester that 's down and you 're not up able to harvest the green beans when they need to go to the canning plant that 's a real problem right so right. it's it's a little bit dependent uh on crops you know, corn corn might be one of the ones that you know people can have a little bit of flexibility on so there's still corn in fields now that you know, will be harvested a little bit later. Is it going to be as good a quality as it was last fall? Potentially not. Have there been some losses? Uh, yes. So it's, you know, it's fresh market things that are most critical, and then it kind of goes down the category from there.
2: So what is it that you feel and you've, you've, you've tried to help create with others I know the right to repair, from a farmer's perspective, what do you what are you looking for? Bottom line.
0: Well,
3: we're we're looking for the ability for farmers to uh, either fix things themselves or to have third party entities fix things, uh, and not necessarily rely on dealers. And I think that's a I think that's a big topic. Right. And we need this kind of information to be able to fix tractors long term. You know, if it, if a tractor, you know I, I looked up, for instance, uh, what. Uh, 1976 1066 international harvester sold for it was about $21,000. You know that tractor still sells today for around $10,000. It's still a very valuable piece of equipment. So we we need to be able to support machines as they age and have all of that data and the software, etc. so that someone can't say, yeah, that that machine's obsolete. You know, it's got a it's got a computer that no one can talk to right. you know and we live in a world where look have you tried to use anything that's got like a three or five inch floppy lately
2: well yeah that doesn't you can't and, and no it doesn't because it's it's gone i'll tell you what andy sit tight let me pull over and take a pause and uh, we'll continue this conversation on the other side i'm ron andy and the car doctor with andy Bader. we're talking about the right to repairs that affects farmers and we'll both be back right after this We are back. Ron and Andy and the car doctor are here with Andy Bader. He's a farmer from Pennsylvania, and we're talking about the right to repair. Andy, you're still there. I am. Thanks for hanging on. Um, when we pulled away, we were talking about, um, you know, how the right to repair affects us and what it is you're looking for. Can you continue that line of thought that you were on?
3: Sure. We're looking for the ability to... Uh, make diagnostic tools and repair information available to everyone, to the farmer, to the third-party repair shop. We need to be able to get around proprietary software locks that are designed to prevent repair by shade tree mechanics. We We need the tools to drive out to the tractor that's immobilized in the field and figure out what's wrong and get that piece of equipment going again in short order that's kind of essential for
2: us. You know, do you think that the, 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 the technical side of these tractors today, as, as you were saying before the break, uh, makes that older tractor more appealing sometimes?
3: There are, uh, I would say, somewhat anecdotal reports that there are farmers that like older tractors because they're less likely to be too complicated or perhaps less likely to have problems. Right. You know, we've, I think we've seen that a little bit in agriculture. I think we've seen that a little bit in the trucking industry. We, you know, we know people have been uh, repowering trucks with older engines because of this kind of thing.
2: Right, right. Do you think it's going to get to the point, and maybe this is a little dramatic, but maybe that's what radio is about, uh, that we're going to just, the, the technology, we're just not going to be able to harvest crops in time? or we going <laughs> to, Andy, are we going to run out of food? I need to go to the supermarket today. No, uh, you're not no. going to run out of food.
3: There are a lot of very smart people working on this. Right. And it's actually a very exciting time for us in farming with what we have on the horizon for technology. There are things afoot, uh, like using uh, automated uh, machines to harvest, we're already using drones to fly over farm fields to figure out what yields are and where fertilizing needs to be done. It's a dynamic and interesting time, but it's going to take some training, and it's going to, it's going to take some effort on the part of both manufacturers and farmers to make sure everyone knows how to use this equipment. Right, it's, a, right. it's largely you know a training and information project.
2: Well, and I'll tell you what, and this is a little off topic, but – I'm always impressed every week I go to the supermarket, and, and, and obviously in-season is a little different than out-of-season, but there's always fresh strawberries there. And I'm thinking, how do they do that? Every supermarket in the country always has an extra pile of strawberries every week, year-round. And that's mind-boggling, and that's probably you, akin you know, to what you You know,
3: speaking of strawberries, one of the things that you can probably Google a little bit is there's work underway now between some competing strawberry growers to figure out how to pick strawberries with machines. So this is kind of where we are in agriculture right now, where robotic technology is at the point where it can discern what strawberry is about ready to be harvested and which one not to pick. It's really, really exciting.
2: Interesting stuff. Yeah, well, listen, that's how I feel about auto repair. I'm I'm in the right place at the right time. The technology, and as complicated as cars get, just to stay up with it it's just interesting but the way it interacts and the way everything falls together so um i think we're i think we're both chewing on the same side there i i I get it um andy listen i want to thank you i appreciate you taking the time and i want to get you back out to the field or whatever you were going to go do today can you um can you is there a website the listeners can maybe if they want to circle back over time just to keep an eye on what's going on with this
3: well, I think officially, I probably would put people towards Farm Bureau's website, which would be uh, farmbureau.org or fb.org, because I'm a you know a Farm Bureau representative. That would that would be the uh, the place to send people. But there are other websites, you know, repair.org. We were talking about earlier. That right. would be one to look at. Right,
2: and maybe if they just from time to time Google, uh, what do you think, right to repair farmers, and and see what comes up, and leave it there.
3: That would be correct. That's a good idea. Cool beans,
2: Andy. Listen, I really appreciate it, and you know, God bless you and all the farmers out there keeping us fed. We uh, we appreciate you at least three times a day, um, if not more, and we should. So uh, you take good care and have a good rest of the weekend. All right. Thank you. You're very welcome. I'm Ron and the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. <laughs> Welcome back. We're on and The Co-Doctor. Thanks again to Andy Bader taking the time. It's sad, right? You go out and you spend a half a million dollars on a piece of farm equipment and then it breaks and you lose so much. And talking with Andy off air, you know, he was explaining to me how you lose so much in terms of, you know, it's downtime. It's the help standing around with the broken tractor. it's It's the broken tractor. It's the repair bill. It's not getting the product to market. Just things add up. And he also pointed out how this has been a tough year, the last couple of years, actually, for the American farmer. And they're getting beat up by this. So right to repair is really limiting their ability to, to work. Now transfer that to an independent repair shop. The costs that are associated with an independent repair shop and running on a day-to-day basis, that's something I could tell you about, folks, you know. And it just—it still leaves me scratching my head. We had a guy walk in yesterday, Friday afternoon, 3:15. Hey, my truck's not running right. Do you think you can run outside and scan it? Never been there before. never saw the guy. Couldn't tell you who he was. Blew—you know—like, just blew me away. Just completely—you know. Let me take my $10,000 scan tool, walk outside, and jump on this right away, Skippy. <clears throat> you know, we're gonna have a conversation one day, you and I, about how to approach a repair shop. That's a whole nother conversation. Till then, I'm Ron Ananian, the car doctor, reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.